Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. It's good to see you this morning. It's a joy to get together to worship. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles turned there or you can follow along up on the screen. Luke chapter 13. Now on the same occasion, what was the occasion? Well, the occasion was Jesus was out and he was teaching people and there was a huge crowd. And if you look at the beginning of chapter 12, it said there were so many thousands that they were walking on one another. That's a lot of people, right? So this is the same occasion and this is a smaller group of the larger group. Probably groups of people were coming in around Jesus and you couldn't have thousands of people right next to him, so you probably had uh, different times, different times, different people approaching, different groups approaching. So on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that the Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you allow that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the beginning of this section, you have two accounts, two discrete things that are brought. One is brought by some present, and they're bringing a report to Jesus that possibly the people around them don't know. It seems as if it's new news. They're bringing a report. Pilate has mixed the blood of some Galileans with their sacrifices. And so you know that the people with Jesus at this time were Jews, and that there are two possible the old guys who writes about these things say there are two possible groups they could be talking about when they say the Galileans. One group would be the Samaritans. And so these Jews might have been coming to Jesus and saying, hey, did you hear those Samaritan Galileans who had been killed by Pilate as they were offering sacrifices? 
And the Jews would not have had any love for Samaritans. They did not love one another. There was a long-standing dispute that went all the way back to the um, captivity. And after the captivity, that dispute started and strengthened, and the, the Samaritans believed that um, worship was supposed to be done on Mount Gerizim, and Jews believed it should be done on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And so one of the ways that you could convert from being a Samaritan to a Jew was to renounce that worship that Mount Gerizim had any special value. You had to renounce it, in fact, that it has no special value, so that you could actually embrace Mount Moriah as the true place of the temple. This was a big rift. And so these people could have been coming saying, yeah, those Samaritans, did you hear they got killed offering their sacrifices? Who really cares? They're Samaritans anyway. Right? Jesus addressed this very issue when he was talking to the woman at the well. She's talking to him. She's, he says to her, you have five husbands. You've had five husbands. And and the man you have now is not your husband. And, and she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. And, he, and then she doesn't, wants to divert the conversation. She doesn't want to talk about husbands right now. She wants to talk about something else, anything else. And so she says, uh, well, you know, what about the big dispute? We say it's supposed to be here on Mount Gerizim, but what do you think? And Jesus says, well... The Samaritans are wrong. Salvation is from the Jews. But a time's coming when it won't be that mountain or this mountain. But God's people will worship him in spirit and in truth. The mountains won't matter anymore. Because what will happen is God will be building a spiritual mountain that will eclipse everything. That's the reality. And so it could have been that these, were, these Galileans were Samaritans. It could have been that they were Jewish Galileans who were going to the temple to offer sacrifices. And of course, your run-of-the-mill person wasn't allowed to make a sacrifice, put it on an altar, but they were allowed to dispatch the animal so that then the priest could take the dispatched animal. And so it would be common for them to be actually killing an animal there to be blood. And in this instance, it could have been that, that Pilate came in or sent his men in toward this group of Galileans because he had some uh, ought against them. Maybe he thought they were going to be seditious or maybe there was something else going on and he wanted to make an example out of them or punish them in some way. And so he killed them right there amongst the blood of the sacrifices they were preparing. We don't know for sure. We just know it was, that, it was bad. And we also know by Jesus' response that the people were saying this report to him in a way to uh, present themselves well to him. Because he goes on and, and uh, messes it all up, as he's like to do. He says, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You're just trying to make yourself look good against these sinners by emphasizing that they got what was coming to them. But Jesus wants to introduce them to themselves. 
And you can imagine these people being a little taken aback. We were just trying to point out a little tidbit of news to you. We just wanted to keep you informed. It's all over social media now, right? We certainly had no self-justifying intent by saying what we said. You know, privately, what do we think Jesus is like? I think we all have two Jesus that we work with. One is the one we read in the scriptures and we just kind of read and skip over. And the other one is the one we really think about and hold in our minds and look through the lens of all the time, right? And that Jesus we hold in our minds, he's very proper. Very, very proper. That Jesus, if he came to your house and you had cooked chicken and it was overcooked and dry, he would never say anything. He would say, you know, may I have another piece, please? That's how that rosy glass Jesus would be about your dry chicken. But see, that's not the chicken, or that's not the chicken, that's not the Jesus that's in the scriptures. Because if there was a reason to point out that the chicken was dry, that was beneficial to the souls of those who were sitting there, or to the woman who had made the chicken, Jesus would have talked about the dry chicken, right? He would certainly have talked about it. If you had a Bible study, and your Bible study had 25 people in it, and those people were there, and Jesus came to be there, but one of those people, you know, let's call him Tony. Tony was fasting, and everybody in the Bible study knew that Tony was fasting, because Tony made sure everybody knew that Tony was fasting, and Tony was like, oh, it's so hard. What's so hard, Tony? Oh, fasting is so hard, right? And Jesus came into the Bible study. What would Jesus say? What would Jesus say at that point? Well, I think what Jesus would say at that point is, hey, everybody, look over here at Tony. When you fast, don't fast like Tony. Right? That's what Jesus would say. Don't fast like Tony because Tony's just doing it to get everybody's attention. And so his fasting is worthless. He wants to be approved of by you rather than by God. And as the host, you might at that point just say, so, can I get anybody something to drink? Because we would be uncomfortable. But the reality is, that's a problem in us. It's not a problem in Jesus. That's a problem in us. I think it's our own sense of sin that makes us quail, recoil, when we see people exposed and introduced to themselves. Because we say, oh, okay, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want it to happen to you. If it doesn't happen to you, I don't happen to me. That'd be great, right? Jesus isn't being proper as we understand proper. Jesus is like to point out that you're right to say that you have no husband. Or hypocrites, you can't even tell if it's gonna rain tomorrow by looking at the sky. Or hypocrites, you'll travel forever across land and sea to find one convert, and then you'll make him into twice as much a child of hell as yourself. This is who Jesus is, because he's dealing with people for the sake of their souls and not for the sake of their approval of him or making money or whatever kind of motivation he may have. He's dealing with them for the sake of their souls. Jesus is the great disabuser. 
He disabuses us of our self-deceptions. He, he loves to free souls from their self-deception. He even sees fit to disabuse us, disabuse us of our own false notions of who he is by having recorded his encounters with fig trees, right? Or merchants in the temple or Gentile dog mothers. Wait a minute. You understand? He doesn't care about our approval. He has a job he's doing. He was doing it here, and he continues to do it. If he hadn't gone far enough in his next statement, he proceeds to pull out the iron thread. Jesus loved to work with the iron thread. You guys know about people who sew points on with an iron thread, right? You've heard that. Have you all heard that phrase before? Boy, you're sewing that on with an iron thread, which is to say that thread is really stitching it up. It's really going to hold. So Jesus is bringing out the iron thread. And what he's about to say is going to stitch it up even more. It's really going to hold. So he says, or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Well, unlike the bit of news they had brought to him about the Galileans, this was news that they all knew about. He was talking about something that had gone through the community. The community knew that the tower had fallen. And it was more difficult for them to deal with because they could see themselves. They might have been there saying, well, yeah, I'm from Jerusalem. And they knew that the tower had been an indiscriminate killer. The tower might have been positioned right next to the pool where the infirm were sitting waiting for the waters to be troubled. The tower may have fallen on some of those infirm people and killed them. And they're saying, wait a minute, you're invoking the tower against us? That was an indiscriminate killer. How can you, how can you do this? There's not room for me to, to, to get around what you're saying. Were these people, Jesus says, worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? Were they worse debtors, delinquents, transgressors against God? Wait a minute. I'm from, I'm from Jerusalem. What are you insinuating? See, what he's trying to get them to do is to see themselves. He knew they were coming to him with a report about some people dying justly. Those people should have died. And Jesus is turning it on them and he's basically saying, wait a minute, uh, you're not thinking right. You should die. You should die. You need to repent. Are you any different than those people? Are you any different from the people who were killed by the tower. John Calvin says this passage is highly useful. <laughs> Which is funny. I, I wonder if you did a search how many times he would say that, because I know he says it in other places. This passage is highly useful. Were it for no other reason 
then that this disease is almost natural to us. To be too rigorous and severe in judging of others and too much disposed to flatter our own faults. The consequence is that we not only censure and censor and excessive severity the offenses of our brethren, but whenever they meet with any calamity, we condemn them as wicked and reprobate persons. On the other hand, every man that is not sorely pressed by the hand of God slumbers at his ease in the midst of his sins, as if God were favorable and reconciled to him. This involves a double fault. For when God chastises anyone before our eyes, he warns us of his judgments, that each of us may examine himself and consider what he deserves. And if he spares us for a time, we are so far from having a right to take such kindness and forbearance as an opportunity for slumber that we ought to regard it as an invitation to repentance. Repentance. He declares that all the calamities which happen in the world are so many demonstrations of the wrath of God, and hence we learn what an awful destruction awaits us if we do not avert it. Jesus lumps everyone together into one category, those who need to repent. Those who need to repent. You and I are in the same category. Matthew 3 says that when John the Baptist was preaching, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, and he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he says, I'll bet you're saying to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. God could raise up children of Abraham out of stones. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he goes on and he says, this is me, this is what I'm preaching to you, but someone who's coming who's so much greater than I, I'm not worthy to unbuckle the, unlace his his sandals. And he's going to come, and he's not going to baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit. And then there's going to be a day come when he will harvest the earth, and he will take every bit of fruit and put it in his barn, and he will take every bit of chaff and throw it into hell, into the furnace. I'm telling you, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He is going to harvest the fruit. He's going to harvest the fruit. Jesus has an expectation that on a future day, he will gather a harvest. The souls saved by his sacrifice, living lives of repentance and faith, a glorious return on a bloody and priceless investment. And so in Luke chapter 13, he follows up talking about the tower. He follows it up with this parable. And he began telling this parable A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. I will dig around it and put in fertilizer, manure, manure. That's what it says in the text. I will put manure around it. I'm going to 
disturb the earth around it and put in manure. I'm going to shock this tree. Let me shock this tree this year and put manure around it, and maybe it will produce fruit, right? And so the Heidelberg Catechism says, we just, we just uh, confessed it together. All things will work together for my salvation. And some of the things that work together for our salvation is God having his servants, servants dig around us and put in manure, disturb us, afflict us, molest us. You could think of a tree getting dug around as that tree being molested. It's, it's uh, space being invaded, right? Going to shock this tree to bear fruit. Did you ever think that COVID-19 might be a little digging around our tree and a little bit of manure to shock us, right? Are you familiar with something called a Jake break? Anybody know what a Jake break is? A few of you guys know what it is. Basically on some diesel trucks that run rigs up and down the road, the engine has a, a particular kind of design that allows the driver to take his foot off of the accelerator and off of the clutch at a certain point in the right gear, and it will take the built-up compression of the engine, and it will slow the truck down. Now, if you've ever been in a town or driven into a town that has a sign that says, no Jake brakes, anybody ever seen that sign, right? No Jake brakes means that town doesn't want those drivers to use that system of slowing down their trucks. Because when they'd use that system, what ends up happening is an incredible noise ensues. <laughs> Only a lot louder and a lot longer and a lot more annoying. And they don't want these trucks waking people up in the middle of the night, disturbing the sound all through the day. They just don't want it. It's nasty. It's like suddenly you have a runway. In the, down the center of your little town. Well, Jake brakes are fine on trucks, and basically the inactivity of the engine can slow the truck down and actually produce something. But we're not Jake brakes. Do you understand? We're not engines equipped with Jake brakes. Inactivity on our part that's brought about by the, uh, in the, the, the coming of COVID is not going to make a good result in us. And you say, well, Pastor Max, I, ah, uh, come on. We've, you know, we've closed the programs down, but we were kind of really had a lot of programs and, not a, and just given a little break. And I say, I'm not talking about programs. I'm talking about inactivity of our souls where we don't pray. We don't examine ourselves to see our sins. We don't repent of our sins. We're not reading our Bibles. That's the inactivity that I'm talking about. And we think that that inactivity is somehow going to produce fruit in our lives. It's not. It's not. But it's the temptation of this time because everything shuts down. Well, we'll all just shut down. I think to some extent we all have. You don't have spiritual reserves that you can just shut down. You can't get a treasury of merit from Bob that you can apply. We don't have that. We have to keep attentive, keep watchful, keep working, keep our foot on the accelerator, keep going if we're going to have the desired effect of fruitfulness. And if I say, COVID is upon us, 
You never know if, like the Tower of Siloam, it may fall on you. What would your response be? What would you say to that? If I said that to you, would you already be saying, yeah, I've been thinking about that. And my prayers have been much toward God delivering me from my besetting sins. My prayers have been much toward God protecting his people. My prayers have been much toward repentance. If that's the case, that's wonderful. But maybe we're just ready with an excuse, right? Well, you know, Pastor Max, you have an equal or greater chance of dying of heart disease, cancer, or stroke. Right? To which my reply would be, are you repenting on your knees because you realize that you have quite a large chance of dying of heart attack, cancer, or stroke? And that the time is coming when God will harvest his earth and expect fruit from us? That's no excuse. You might say, well, you know, they're making a big deal out of nothing. That's just a big deal out of nothing. Well, my observation is things always change when lightning strikes. I was watching some children jumping on a trampoline, and it was raining. And, you know, jumping on a trampoline is fun with other kids because you're going up in the air and they're coming down and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't jump on trampolines anymore, but it looks fun. And they were jumping on the trampoline in the middle of a rainstorm. And I mean, it was a big rainstorm, a lot of rain falling down. And you could tell they were having a blast because not only were the kids coming up and down, but the water was coming down and bouncing back up all around them. And it was just a, you know, it was just a, a, a wondrous image, right? You want to watch it in slow motion. Be a lot of fun. Until, kaboom, a half a mile away, maybe, a lightning bolt struck. And there wasn't much delay. It was close. What happened then to the trampoline fun? They were gone. You could, all you could see is a blur of water running toward the house. Because lightning had struck. Things change when lightning strikes close to home. I saw a doctor yesterday, yesterday interviewed on the news it was at a hospital, I think it was in Texas, where they've lost, he, he said, we've lost three or four nurses and two or three doctors. And he said, I just intubated a woman that I have worked with for 20 years. Lightning has struck. But you say, oh, that's in Texas. That's not Adam. That's not Bonnie. That's not Kara. For those of you who are new, those are three people who work in the healthcare industry in our church. Some of you might not think of any of those things. What you might think of is, you know, I've been, it's, it's fun, I've been off work, the government gave me a stimulus check, and there's still 15 more seasons of Doctor Who to watch. And some of us, maybe all of us to some degree, will say, what do I need to repent of? Because that's what the people were saying when they came to Jesus. These Galileans got what was coming to them. I'm better than they are. We're better than they are. And so we say, COVID is here. What do I need to repent of? 
When you ask this question, you are identifying with those people in the text. Don't look at me, Pastor Max. Don't look at me, Jesus. Look at New York. Look at Texas. Look at California. Look at California. Look at New York. That's, those are evil places. I'm in Indiana. This is where godly people live. Right? Do you know what you need to repent of? It's interesting, as I think, to ask that question. I suspect that every person here knows exactly what they need to repent of. You don't need me to tell you. My guess is that those Jews who came to Jesus knew exactly what their sins were, and that we always try to deflect, because we're very much aware of where we fall short of the glory of God, and where we need repentance. Ask God, certainly, but I suspect that you know. In the preceding chapter, Jesus is talking to that same crowd, and he said, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. You know, we sing that song, uh, Brethren, we have met to worship. If you don't know, the last verse comes from what I just read. Christ will gird himself and serve us with sweet manna all around. Right? So that makes a connection for you to a something that Jesus himself said, which is so bizarre to consider. I don't think it was the practice of masters to come home from trips and have all the slaves sit down and serve them. But it's a promise Jesus makes to us. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third or finds them and finds them, so blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And God is giving us every kind of opportunity to warn us. Not about how everybody else is so sinful. Not about California and New York. But about us. These, these warnings are for us. Psalm 119 says, Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, and not to dishonest gain. Well, the, they didn't do us a favor here in the interpretation, because dishonest is italicized. That means it wasn't in the original manuscript. So, they're trying to help us out. But it's not helpful. Because it really should read, Incline my heart to your testimonies, and not to gain. Which isn't to say you shouldn't make money, but it is to say that your heart shouldn't be inclined toward money. Right? So it's much broader. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Give attention to your fruitfulness. 
You never know when the master will return. You never know when your tower of Siloam will appear. Revive me in your ways. I had a professor, Old Testament professor in college, and he would say, people keep talking about revival. And then he'd say, he'd stop and he'd look and he'd say, I'm still waiting for the vival. <laughs> Which was interesting. I'm still waiting for any evidence of an epiphany and a light bulb going off uh, of repentance. A Christian is one who learns to love the iron thread that Jesus brings to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? The image of Jesus working to save. He's so intent on saving our souls. He doesn't care about the party that's being had for him at that moment. He doesn't care about the pressing crowd that are stepping on each other. He's going to say what needs to be said. He's going to say the chicken is dry. And he's going to say it so that people will wake up and will repent of their sins. We long to be saved. And we are inwardly happy when we're disabused of our self-deceptions. Is your self-deception that you're good and everybody else is bad? This is not the time for having that self-deception. There isn't the time for having that self-deception. You're not good. Neither is anyone else. You need to repent just like everybody else. We need to realize that right now the earth is being churned up all around us and God is working in the fertilizer. And we better avail ourselves of this opportunity before it's too late. So repent. I don't know what you need to repent of, but you do. Plead with God to deliver you. Plead with Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today that you love us so much that you would tell us the truth to save us. That you would give your Son, Jesus Christ, to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. We thank you. We bless your name. Would you cause us to repent and see these times and see this environment as we ought to, as a time to be warned and sobered, to turn to you in faith and to seek your face. Father, help us. Thank you that you're merciful and that you give us the hope of a banquet where you will have your Christ serve us. What a, a benediction, a blessing that would be. Father, help us, we pray. We give you thanks and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.